Welcome to devmode.fm, a podcast dedicated to the tools, techniques, and technologies used in modern web development. I'm Andrew Welch from NY Studio 107. I'm Patrick Harrington from Mildly Geeky in Boston. I'm Michael Rogg in Houston, Texas. And today we have on Christian Alfani. How are you doing, Christian? Hello, I'm good, thanks. How did I do on the pronunciation? Uh, I'm not sure. <laughs> Everyone says it differently, and I even <laughs> say it differently every time I try to pronounce it myself. So, okay. yeah, I think you're good. All right, we'll go with it. And then Fabrice Weinberg, how are you doing, yes, Fabrice? Great, thanks. Great, so we have you two on here because we want to talk to you about something called stitches, which is this thing that you, you folks recently, and when I say recently, I mean in the last couple of days literally put together. So Fabrice and Christian, if you were out off the coast of the Salt Island, diving down to 30 meters on the wreck of the Rhone, and your dive buddy writes on his little dive slate, hey, what is stitches anyway? <laughs> what would you tell him? That's a really good question. It's basically what I would call it now. It's kind of like uh, we started with an experiment that was this classy well, UI. You, you got to write this on your dive slate. So you got to be very brief and terse. You, okay. you, probably have about, you probably have about 10 words you can write on there. The latest incarnation of a CSS in JS library. All right. Fair enough. Do you have anything you want to add to that? Oh, no, do I have more room on my slate? <laughs> no, I'm asking your... <laughs> I'm yeah, we just your we upgraded you to an, an auto dictation <laughs> super slate. <laughs> I'm asking the other guest that is on... <laughs> Uh, I would call it a different approach to handling CSS in JS. Beautiful. All right. So that's that's pretty cool. So, but okay. I, I had a little more time to think about it. So. <laughs> so yeah, and also you're not suffering from nitrogen narcosis, so you're probably doing you're probably doing a little bit better. This is kind of interesting to me. So there are a number of people that would probably say to you, why are we using CSS in JS anyway? You know, like, what's the point in doing this? We've got this perfectly good system called CSS. Like, why aren't we using it? Yeah, that's also a really good question. I've been doing it for so long. So I actually had to like think about it a little bit. And But I remember one moment, which was when Pete Hunt, I think his name is, he talked about this separation of concerns mm. where we think about separation of concerns in terms of technology, where you have like CSS is one concern, and then you have like JavaScript is a different concern and so on, where you kind of like flipped it around related to React and components, where you rather think of a component as a concern. And within a component, you need some something to style that component, which is typically CSS. And then you have your component code, and then that is kind of like your full concern. And then the separation of concern is more the different components. And that really resonated with me. And that- So is it a scoping? Is it, are you doing it for scoping reasons that you want the CSS that's in your component to only affect that? Is that the driving reason? Yeah, so that's where it's it started for me and where it kind of like made even more sense is that when you use JavaScript to, to write the CSS, you have a lot more flexibility, especially related to the complexities of what we build today. Like the applications we build on the web today is something way different than what, what we did before when CSS came around. And especially now where you have like TypeScript, for example, you can get even more help to document what you're doing when you're writing your CSS related to your component and stuff like that. So it just gives room for new ways of dealing with this stuff, basically. Well, that, I mean, that makes sense. And it's actually kind of funny, right? Because... <laughs> There, it's kind of a heated debate for whatever reason, whether we should be using CSS in, in JS. You know, we had on Key and Mitchell who did a motion a while ago and we talked about this a little bit. I think it's kind of funny because... <laughs> You'll have people that, that can't stand the idea of CSS in JS. However, they're perfectly happy to use SAS or Stylus or post-CSS, right? Yeah. And so they're, they're, they're recognizing that, hey, I really do, it really is very useful to have this thing be a little bit more like a programming language or be able to expand this thing a little bit more in terms of what it can do. Yeah, exactly. And also, if you relate to, to patterns, if that is a good way for you to manage complexity then you can like use css but if you want to force some constraints then it's way easier to expose like a css api through javascript which 
which forces you into these restrictions, which is becoming more and more popular now in terms of uh, tokens and stuff, which we'll probably talk more about. Yeah, we're getting into that. Fabrice, what about you? Like, why yeah, why that, that, don't you just use CSS? Uh, that exact point that uh, Christian talked uh, about at, in, in his last sentence, it's more about if we could choose between the, the perfect styling for an application, uh, then we would need to know everything about the application we are building ahead of time and basically build it twice because then we could mm. have the, the perfect CSS styling for the application and put that file in, into use and everything would work. But applications nowadays evolve that fast and in a way that, that is more dynamic than, than in, in the past. And with CSS and JS, the, the flexibility you, you get by co-locating the, the styles with your actual component that is using that little part of styling, it's much e easier to reason about that small part of your application and not think about all the consequences adding or removing just one selector in the style sheet would have to your whole application. Yes, mm. we, we could have tooling that, that detects what is needed, what is not needed, but we could also just ignore all the tooling and, and just live with the fact that we are not in the state of perfect styling in every time in the, the development process. So it's kind of like picking the, the less of two evil for me. So... <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, that's I've been doing development for a long time. And trust me, like there is never an end game where you reach nirvana, right? You're, you're always right. picking from very various levels of which is the, the least bad way that I could do this. Exactly. <laughs> Yeah. And that when when we really know about the application, we, we, we can come up with better handwritten CSS and static uh, files and everything. But so you could just build your whole application with Dome API, but nobody right. is, is, is thinking about just using Dome APIs for a reasonably oh. complicated application. You, you'd be surprised. There are some vanilla <laughs> yeah, advocates okay. out there that, yes, that, 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 that think that But at some point, they will build their in-house framework to abstract the details away and uh, end up with a proprietary solution. Right. Yeah, pr probably. Probably. Oh, yeah. yeah. So, I so, mean, it sounds like, you know, one of the benefits of doing CSS and JS, as you mentioned, is that we can scope our styles so they don't bleed outside of our components, right? And another advantage is that, well, if we're doing it inside of JavaScript, we've got the full power of JavaScript to do anything we want in terms of generating this stuff. Another interesting side effect when I was first learning about this was that, so something that I always do for my projects is I generate critical CSS so that the all the content can render without loading the entire style sheet, right? So it's just a performance thing. Well, if you're using scope styles like this, the application knows about every single style that's used on every single page and you can get an automatic, effectively critical CSS, right? Yeah, that and also if you asynchronously load pieces of your application that will mm -hmm. also include the needed css for that piece of code you're you're loading so and you and as you say you you get it for free you don't have to think about it and configure it and yeah and I, I thought that was really cool because, you know, the pattern that people that are not doing this do is they'll have some kind of a massive style sheet and they'll generate a subset of that for the critical CSS. And then they'll also run it through purge CSS to strip out stuff that isn't being used. And they're doing all this kind of stuff. But if you take the, the CSS and JS approach, like it knows about all the CSS that's used on a page or even, as you mentioned, stuff that is dynamically added and then you can bring the css along with that like if you're building more interactive app-ish kind of stuff i would think that that would be a huge game yeah because I, th I think that's the key it's like if you're building a rich, yeah, rich application super complex and you asynchronously load stuff and there are tons of components and you do server-side rendering then it makes a ton of sense to use css in js but if you're building a website for example on the other edge then that doesn't make so much sense anymore but right. I think one point also is that CSS is a quite a low level language. We've been discussing this with uh, whoa, Max. Whoa, whoa, hold on, hold on, hold on. Low level language? Yeah. You're yeah. talking to a, a former a reformed systems programmer. Are you going to say oh, it's a low level sorry. language? <laughs> yeah, I, I started with HTML and JavaScript. So, <laughs> But yeah, I would say it's, it's quite low level. We were talking to Max Stoiber, the creator of Style Components, and we were talking about uh, creating abstractions around CSS and how would you kind of like do that in CSS. And you have things like SAS and LESS uh, and stuff like that, but still the 
highest abstraction you can get to is really a class name where you put the CSS properties. But when you start working in, in JavaScript, you can start doing a lot of stuff. You can create abstraction on abstraction, which can give you several different benefits amongst those being uh, constraints in the design, for example. It's, funny, that you mentioned, it's yes. funny you mentioned Max. I actually met him at ThinkMill while I was down in Australia. Mm. <laughs> How random is that? He happened to be down there too, I think for JSConf or something, JSConf Australia or whatever. Yeah. And he's also young very young yeah, yeah yeah so yeah so he seemed like a really really cool guy yeah he's um, awesome so but let me ask you a question though here's okay so I, I understand i get the idea okay so this is why we're doing this why did you decide to create this thing called classy ui you mentioned like tailwind was kind of tailwind css was kind of an inspiration but what was the motivation in yeah. creating your own design system type of thing like why did you decide the stuff that's out here isn't good enough we're going to make our own yeah it's kind of weird because what i've been doing in open source has not really been related to css it's been more state management but then you see stuff and you get inspired and you have this core drive which is problem solving like you you see a problem and you sometimes you get ideas on how to fix it it, it doesn't really matter what it is like if I didn't do coding, I would be solving problems with a nail and a hammer, maybe. Like it's just solving issues. So, um, but yeah, CSS and JS has been working really well for me personally, but it's this itch of getting a design into code. Like we haven't really figured this out yet. There's there's tons of innovation being done now. And we talked about Max. He he says that 2020 will be the year where, we'll, where we solve everything. No, 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 no. Yeah, no, no, no. I'm not so sure about that. But no, no, no. Um, Max, he's a very, he's obviously a very intelligent guy. But we are. <laughs> that's the funny thing about humans is we're never solving anything. What yeah. we're doing is we're, we're making things a little bit better, yeah. a little bit better every time we kind of go down there. But, but he doesn't okay, have so, the life experience we have, you know. So he's he's a little bit nice. He's, he's optimistic. We'll, yeah. we'll break him of that. Don't worry. We'll break. Him. <laughs> we'll break him. But I want to ask before we get deeper into this, I want to ask just the the hosts that are on here, Michael. First of all, like, are you sold on this whole idea of doing CSS and JS? Are you good with it? Or does it make you feel icky? Or where are you on that? Oh, man. Um, <laughs> I'm a lot more sold than I was 12 months ago. That's for sure. Okay. Um, all right. <clears throat> I mean, my admittedly running a, a, a small agency, working with a lot of like external collaborators, junior developers, a huge concern for my day to day is how quickly can I onboard a new developer to one of several dozen projects that are out there in the world. And so I tend to like in my day to day be pretty slow to adopt anything that is like super cutting edge or, or, or the new fancy. And so I've been eyeing CSS in general. JS with with a sort of like barf face for a, a couple of years now going like, okay, even if this was mature, there's absolutely no way that I could integrate this into my day to day. And that's kind of where I started. And I was probably there even as recently as about 12 months ago. But a lot has happened in the last 12 months. And and a lot of overhead around tooling has has started to dissipate and the the sort of ascendance of of mainstream utility thinking in CSS especially with tailwind becoming so popular actually while i understand it's it's not strictly the same that utility mindset becoming mainstream actually i think for me was a was a critical piece in being able to to start to go the css in in js route because once i'm in the like i am composing a bunch of utilities and i'm using a thin layer of tooling to do that mindset then it's really easy to take the jump where i no longer care if my utilities are coming from a style sheet or a javascript framework well it probably depends on what you're building right so my Michael, I mean, yeah. as much as we might love Vue or React or whatever, if we're building a marketing brochure site for a client, I'm sorry, but you're dumb if you do that with React. Like, I understand if you like React and you like the tooling, that's wonderful, but it's just a whole layer of junk you just don't need if you're doing that. However, yeah, if we're building maybe. something, maybe, okay. So, however, if we're building something interactive, you know, I mean, not turning your nose up and ignoring things like React, Vue, Svelte, et cetera, like you're crazy. Yeah. Like, yeah. this is the way to do it, you know? So, so I think, I think we're 
I, where I am, where I am right now is if I am already set up to do any kind of moderate to heavy JavaScript tooling on a project, now CSS and JS makes more sense. And if my project doesn't have a lot of JavaScript compilation in the stack because it doesn't need it for anything other than maybe using a style framework, I'm not going to add JavaScript tooling just so I can use a CSS and JS framework. So that's kind of where I am now. And on either side of that line, it's easy right now to tell which projects fall into the camp and which don't. And the ones that do, I'm, I'm getting pretty comfortable conceptually with CSS and JavaScript being okay. So Patrick, I want to take your CSS and JS temperature. We're going to take your temperature the hard way. What do you, where are you at? <laughs> <laughs> where, where are you at on the whole CSS and JS stuff? I think I've kind of given myself over to it. For a long time, I resisted because I, I mean, just becoming more and more JavaScript dependent, uh, it was something I pushed back on, let alone the idea that not only am I going to be dependent on JavaScript, but I'm going to be dependent on it not only for functional changes, but even applying styling was something I pushed back on a long time. But I think just we've done a lot of view in the last year and just that idea of building components and their single file components are so nice to work with. We've been looking a lot more. We haven't done a true CSS and JS project yet where we're actually, we're still just basically hard coding our, our classes right on the components uh, rather than truly delivering them through CSS and JS if we look at Tailwind. But yeah, I guess, you know, as I'm looking at the Devo site, and if you turn off JavaScript, it just it's not really that usable. But I, I think that's the way websites are headed. Right. For a while, we kind of fought the all websites should be usable without JavaScript, and, and I still think that there's merit to that argument for a lot of kinds of websites. But I at don't least think it's something. I don't right? think at it's a, right. but I don't think it's a blanket anymore that that we you know should should build a complete experience for an interactive application we should try to build a complete experience that works without javascript eh i'm not sold on that anymore i think I think we're past it. Um, I am curious to know if, if this were a site for a content site like the New York Times or anyone else, if they go full over into Stitches, you know, formerly Classy UI, are they now to really use it? Are they going to have to just say goodbye to loading CSS the old way? Can they use it just for components that they want to use it on? Or how do they bridge that gap when there's they're using JavaScript to build some parts of the functionality and some other system maybe that's still putting HTML. Yeah. So what's also appealing about, about CSS in JS is, is how we uh, set up um, our projects now. Like previously, it was super easy to, to write CSS because you basically had an HTML page and you just put a style tag in there and then you write it. But now you have to set up a build system. So it's kind of like flipped around. Now we have to configure a build system to just write CSS. But with CSS in JS, it's like an NPM package, like everything else. You just install it and you kind of start using it as any other module. And that's basically how it would be here as well. If you have like an existing project, you can just install it as a, an NPM module and use it with any existing CSS solution you have. And yeah, so it's also modular uh, in that sense. But I guess for like a content type of application, you would like use it on the server then. Mm -hmm. Well, you could do both, right? So for depending on what you were doing, let, let's say it was a, a client brochure site and you had built everything in the kind of traditional way with a CMS integration or wh whatever it ends up being. But they had this one interactive like get quote widget or something like that, right? Maybe you'd write that in React and you could use something like stitches to to do the styling for that just that piece of it right because it would be it would be isolated right yeah exactly and that's also this big competition in css and js is the payload size of the library mm. um mm -hmm. Like you have to get that as slow as possible for it to be, to do the stuff you're um, talking about now. So that's also been like an interesting journey for Fabrice and me is to start with one concept, which was completely different than CSS in JS really. And then taking those ideas and putting it into a CSS in JS library and, and see what happens. What do we end up with like a payload and the performance and the API and all that stuff. So take us on that journey. Like I want to know, as I was mentioning to you earlier, yeah, there, there are a whole bunch of solutions out there to do design systems, to do tokens. And we, we had Dominic Wokowski on from ThinkMill a while ago to talk us through design system where they had tokens just like in a JavaScript object, you know, yeah. just as a, a simple abstraction layer. What caused you to say, okay, the solutions that are out there are not good enough. We're going to write our own. Like what was the motivation there where you, st let's start with classy UI. Like how did you get 
to that point? Yeah, so I started getting a lot of tweets on my Twitter feed about Tailwind, and I didn't know that project from before. Okay. Uh, and I took a look at it, and I really liked talking about CSS and abstractions. I, I, it really hit something with me that they were only using classes. You could actually create an application only using classes. Right. So they were they are kind of like created an, an abstraction. And I've been talking a lot to designer colleagues uh, from previous work, and uh, the term tokens been like swirling around and. For me, these class names made me think about tokens. It made me think about, hmm, maybe this is a way that better bridges this gap between the designer and the programmer. Because it's like, should designers start to program or should programmers make it kind of like build a bridge towards the designer? And for me, Tailwind CSS uh, had ideas around this, which I really liked, but I didn't like the configuration and, and there were some issues around specificity and stuff. And also the fact that even though we had these really nice class names, you had to go into the documentation you have to constantly look at the documentation to, to figure out these different class names. So the first thing I did is that I took a project called Class Names, which is an NPM module. That's basically just a function that you can give multiple strings or multiple class names, and then it kind of puts them together. And by applying typing on top of, of that, that function, I gave it the typing of the CSS classes from Tailwind CSS. What that gives you is documentation in the code. So as you write, the when you call this function, the code editor starts giving you su suggestions on what class names you can insert there. And all the class names are from Tailwind. So that's one example of how we can use JavaScript and also TypeScript to improve the, the development experiment, experience. It's funny how we get there. So the primary IDE that I use is PHP Storm. And PHP Storm has this amazing IntelliSense feature that it will actually automatically give you that autocomplete for the Tailwind classes, right? So you don't need anything else. Like it just gives it to you. And it's so funny because we both want the same thing, right? Both of us are just like, I don't want to memorize all this stuff. Give me the autocomplete. Right. Yeah. And but we've got two different approaches to getting there, which I think is really interesting. But are you using the one where you only get it in line with the class name, like with the attribute? Because I saw there was an extension for VS Code which also had this. But if you were to, for example, create a variable, uh, where do you get the auto suggestion? Because I, I, what I did immediately was to uh, look at VS Code and the extensions there for Tailwind, and they do have like an extension that gives you the suggestions, but it requires you to actually be inside a class attribute to get those suggestions. If you were to create a variable, which is which could hold I, anything, then it stopped yeah. working. Yeah. No, so you're you're correct. So this would be it would be only in a if you're inside of a class. Although PHP Storm does let you inject code sense anywhere you want, which is kind of interesting when you go to mixing and matching this stuff. Mm -hmm. I've been using, I've actually been doing some stuff with Emotion and Stout components and also a Tailwind macro. So I can use Tailwind classes with styled with Emotion styled components, which is kind of funny. So it's kind of like, I don't know, it feels kind of weird, yeah. but it's nice because I'm already familiar with Tailwind. I already know all those classes and I can just add Tailwind classes to my style component stuff. And it just does the right thing in terms of generating and and generating only the CSS that's needed for that stuff. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and I, I could imagine that. That's what I imagined when I looked at it as well. Like if, if you had used it a long time, it's it's like it's super powerful. It's an awesome project. Yeah. But so that was like one thing. And then it was this other itch of the configuration, like why I don't want to pre-configure what classes should be available to me. I want this just to work. So right. Right. So that's when things started. Uh, woke up one morning. And... That's when you started getting less sleep. Yes, exactly. And uh, yeah, so it was basically how could we make uh, make it automatic? So when you use a class name, that is what is actually being used, like in Tailwind. Right. So then I contacted uh, Fabrice because we have been uh, partners on several open source projects, and he. Mm -hmm. He is a bit more low level than me related to working on things like bubble plugins and proxies and, and stuff like that. And, and mm -hmm. to make this work, we had to create a bubble plugin, which analyzes your code and 
basically reads your code statically and figures out, okay, what class names have you used? Let me produce the CSS for you. So that's when uh, Fabrice got on board. Yeah. So basically when uh, Fishing contacted me, he had working solution in, in a sense that he had a clear picture of what he wanted. And then we, we spent most of the time in, in figuring out different build toolings and how to integrate the Babel plugin with these tools. So like there's there's Parcel, there, there's Webpack and all these bundlers that, that in the end produce your, your artifacts. And then these uh, needs to keep in sync with the generation of the CSS and everything. But after we, we had an initial version, we, we got great feedback. So it, it was really inspiring to see how how big the the audience for for something like this is because Christian did some YouTube live streaming of of, of his and uh, there there you could see that that there is some kind of need to for for another tool that that does something a little bit different and yeah then we we uh, focused on developer experience so we we came up with all these these fancy fancy naming conventions to get vs code to highlight different parts in in various ways to to give indications of what is what so so what is the css class what is a token what is a is a pseudo element and in the end we we, we landed on on something usable but the the main maintenance overhead for such a tool was what killed classy ui in the end <laughs> i guess would it be fair to say that the primary benefit of classy ui in your mind was the developer experience is that kind of what it offered over some of these other existing solutions in in some ways yes but but not not in all so so the development experience after you have configured everything mm. <laughs> yes <laughs> so the the configuration overhead was insane because we did all these hacks on generating TypeScript definition inside a bubble plugin to then have VS Code pick these generated TypeScript definitions up for you and synchronizing all that with uh, starting up the development server and everything and various hacks on writing the CSS when the bundler process ended because then we could make it, that would ensure that everything would be up to date and yeah it, it was an experiment in the end you you got everything we wanted because you you had fully typed css in js without the overhead of css in js because we could statically extract all of that into a CSS file. Yeah, but it sounds like you tell the developers after they spend all this time getting it set up, you tell developers kind of what I tell my kids, which is now don't touch anything. Yes. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and that's yeah. the reason we, we don't want to maintain or go in that direction any further because we, we then noticed something we could do in a very minimal payload on the client. It would be great if Christian could just tell the story three days ago. Yeah, yeah because, <laughs> because as of a few days ago, I thought I was talking to you too about Classy UI and I get a DM on Twitter and it says, um, I probably should mention this before <laughs> we come on the air. <laughs> <laughs> there's a video and I watched the video and I was like, oh, we're, we're not talking about classy UI. We're talking about stitches. So what happened, Christian? Tell, tell us the story. Yeah. So it was also related to, because this was a learning experience for Fabrice and me. We're not like designers and I'm not worked much with CSS, understanding all the complexities of CSS. So we kind of hit specificity wall. Mm. Uh, like I, I know uh, about CSS specificity, but not in terms of having a library and also tell in CSS has some specificity issues. So we, we started to dive into how can we solve specificity? And what's very interesting about Tailwind CSS is that they have this atomic mindset, meaning that every CSS class points to a single, typically point to a single property. And that's something we really dived into, looking into how could we remove completely the problem with specificity. And also after talking to Max, our little session on, on Classy UI, we actually got to talk about it. He started asking some questions around putting it into runtime and also explain how other CSS and JS libraries also has specificity issues. So then we kind of thought that, okay, what if we take all the stuff we figured out with the help of tons of people giving feedback and crunching through specificity issues and put this into a runtime 
So again, well, help me out. Help me out, Christian. So you yeah. keep on saying specificity issues. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Give, me, give me an example. Like what happened? What went wrong? Yeah. So I remember a moment <laughs> when things started to go wrong. And that was when I inserted class names from or tokens, as we call them in, in class EUI, in order. And I expected the class name order to be what decides is being styled on the elements. So for example, mm -hmm. if you have two different CSS classes and both of them references a color, I expected the last class name I inserted on the element, that would be the color. But that's not the case with CSS. It's the CSS rule that is last in the style sheet that decides which one of them wins. Yeah, that's one of many specific. Yeah, one of very many. <laughs> exactly. And the question is, how do you solve this? And all solutions I have seen, they try to solve this in the style sheet. Right. Again, mentioning Max and style components, they do some twirling around and re-injecting styles and uh, tries to fix it that way. But what uh, Fabrice and I discovered in Class EUI is that what if we handle the insertion of the class name because we are we basically have a CSS in JS API like you write JavaScript so we know everything you're trying to put into that class attribute so what if we could figure out which order these should be in so that you never get into specificity issues well I already know how you I already know how you solve the specificity problem Christian mm -hmm. you just do exclamation point important right? <laughs> no <laughs> no three things yeah yeah that's the, the way you solve specificity hack. <laughs> that's the way you solve everything right you just chain you know exclamation point important right michael not how and, you do and it? then and then if it's extra important because you because you still you're still running into specificity issues because all of your declarations have bang important on them then you just add another bang important onto the end of that and then right. no, actually i wonder if we could back up a sec because like I am a, a total noob, I, I imagine that there's some people listening to us talk about how this framework is solving specificity issues and are asking themselves like, okay, how does this actually work? So can I, as a noob, describe the basics of how I think this works? And y'all can tell me if I'm correct. Awesome. Go. Okay. So I'm coming at this from a sort of like Tailwind place, which I think is probably familiar to, to a lot of our audience. And in Tailwind, you have these utility classes, margin such and such, border color such and such, and they're just class names. And, and each class name applies a single CSS property. And so you're writing your HTML and you're just putting all of these utility classes on your, your HTML stuff. So class UI now stitches, if I understand correctly, it gives you this, this JavaScript function and a bunch of JavaScript tokens. And the JavaScript tokens are kind of like these utility classes. Each token represents applying one CSS declaration. You're setting your margin to such and such or your border color to such and such. And then you can take these tokens and you can, can put them into this JavaScript function and the JavaScript function composes them into a single class name that is unique to that combination of tokens. And then you apply that class name to whatever it is that you're rendering in React or, or Vue or whatever. And so, so if I want a thing that has a gray border and some padding, then I can say, okay, my component equals the JavaScript function compose, and then I list out the tokens. So I have like border color gray token and, and padding such and such token. And then that assigns to my variable this class name. And then I can just put that class name in my React component template or my view component template or whatever. I just put that class name as the value of the class attribute on the HTML that's being rendered. And somewhere behind the scenes, your framework actually figures out what class names and and what values they represent are being used. And I'm assuming, I'm hoping that you have some like deduplication in there somehow. And so in the end, then I just have a list of unique class names that are probably some kind of gobbledygook if I actually look at them. But behind the scenes, each of those class names represents a unique combination of properties. And so ideally, everything that I'm building, the class attribute on the HTML just has one class name in it. And it's whatever this the class name is that I have composed that now includes all of my desired properties. Almost. Okay. Almost. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So one thing you can first think of is that every single property 
in in the CSS is just like you said, it's a class name related to a value. So for example, padding 15, for example, padding two. So, uh, and that's also what we talk about when we talk about tokens, it's the class names related to Tailwind CSS, which is like padding two, margin two, and so on. Where you got it a little bit uh, wrong is when you put these tokens into this function, it doesn't create a new class name. It actually returns the, the class names you put into the function. The only special thing about the function is that it knows that if you have inserted color two times, it will remove the first one. Ah, okay. Yeah. So it so understands that, so that the class order. Name, so the class name variable that I get back out of this function isn't a single composed class name. It's a list of class names that have been processed to accomplish the sort of deduplication and yes. specificity wrangling yes. and all of oh, that. Yes, and so yes. I can still I can still just like not even think about it and put that value that st string value a list of of CSS classes into the class attribute of my HTML in in my rendered HTML and and behind the scenes y'all are deduping it and you're managing the specificity based on this composing slash tree shaking JavaScript function. Yes, it's a m wonderful function that uh, kind of fixes the class attribute, <laughs> if you will. And regarding the deduplication, so I, I don't know how deep we should dive into the implementation, but just to, to okay, point... Look, look, we were already diving down on the Rhone. We are diving down the wreck of the Rhone earlier, 30 meters down, so just go as deep yeah. as you need to go. <laughs> oh, okay, so, so Stitches is basically a type-only library. I, I don't know if, if that's the thing, but you, you could describe it as, as a mainly a type library because the, the underlying functions are actually just one proxy. So one ES6 proxy that generates these atoms, we call them. But that's that's a detail that might change in the future. So these atoms use the uh, uh, JavaScript-specific thing called the toString method. And only if we stringify these classes together, the CSS is actually injected. So if you generate compose, compositions in your application, but don't use them inside the class name attribute, you don't actually pay for that CSS because that's never generated. Nice. And then we cache the returned class name on the object and just return it all, all, uh, all the time in, in the future. So you pay the, the penalty for inserting a, a just one CSS rule in, in the initial render. And after that, it's all statically rendered and, and returned cached data. Yeah. So, so basically, whenever you use a CSS property with a value, wherever you would do that again in your code, it doesn't have like a cost. It doesn't do any new injection, doesn't create a new class name, nothing. So you get like optimal reusability of, of all the properties. And, and this is where solutions are heading now. We've been talking about tokens and restricting design. Like you, sometimes you want the flexibility of writing whatever value you want, but, but as a rule, you don't really want that. You want to have a set of constraints in term called tokens that ensures that you only have certain padding, certain margins, certain colors, and so believe on. Believe me, believe me, I know many designers that would be <laughs> that would love, love to enforce that kind of restriction on the developers they work with who are always getting things slightly wrong. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I don't I don't know. I know a lot of designers who would like to have seven different sub pixel yes. sub pixel <laughs> variations of of you know, border width, but no, right. it, exactly it, what makes that. It, it makes so much sense to me, though, especially coming from a day-to-day -day tooling that is maybe a little bit less fancy, but something like Tailwind, you know, in, in Tailwind, I can can make my own component class name and I at apply a bunch of different utilities. And now I have this, this one class name that represents that set of individual utilities. And here I, I'm doing the same thing, except instead of, you know, an at apply in my style sheet, I have a compose function in my JavaScript, but I'm the thing that I'm putting into it is still kind of a list of utilities or other composed class names. And the thing that's coming out of it is still a CSS class list. And I'm putting that into the, to the class attribute of my HTML. So this, I mean, this is a real light bulb moment for me. This is kind of the first time that a CSS in JS framework has, has made real practical sense to me because I can easily see how on a project that doesn't have a JavaScript, you know, heavy JavaScript compilation, sure, I'm going to use Tailwind and I'm going to use my add apply and I'm going to get my composed class names and that's great. And then 
on a project that does have JavaScript compilation tooling on it, it costs me very little conceptually to now switch over and do the exact parallel thing, except now it's in JavaScript. And whereas with, with Tailwind, I, I have to sort of do the tree shaking through purge CSS after I write my styles. And here, you know, your framework is doing the tree shaking for me as it's composing these these classes. But like conceptually, it's basically the same thing. And it, it costs me very little to make the, the transition to doing it in JavaScript versus doing it in a style sheet if I have that compilation tooling on a project. But I still get the utility, utility class mindset because that's, I think, one of the huge criticisms of CSS in JavaScript is that it is kind of hard to keep yourself constrained and to share standards across different components because you are so tightly scoped in each component. And that's that's where something like a utility CSS framework really shines. And so I still get I still get that. I still get the utility mindset and standards that I can share across my projects, but I also get the separation of concerns from component to component, and I get the scoping and I get the specificity benefits, not having to worry about specificity. So, so it really kind of balances both sides of, of the equation in a way that, that is a, a, a light bulb for me. Related to that, I want to bring that back to what we were mentioning before about why did you bother creating this new thing? So one of the things that I like about Tailwind is that it gives me these utility classes, right, that I can just, just out of the box, like if I touch nothing and I generate the CSS that comes along with it, I get this really nice standard of utility classes that I can add. And the nice thing about that is that I can approach a project from a year ago and I'll instantly know what's in there. Like I don't have to worry about any weird BEM naming and, you know, Mm -hmm. tracing through the CSS file to figure out what's what. Does Stitches offer anything like that where out of the box you'll have utility classes for margin, for instance, or do you have to define those all yourself in your design tokens? Yeah. So by default, you have a set of utilities, which are basically all the CSS properties. And these utilities are functions. So when you call them, you give them a value and that value can be anything by default, as if you were writing normal CSS. But then you can configure stitches to have tokens. And these tokens are based on system UI, which is like just people trying to go together and uh, define like a common way to to define tokens. So one token category is colors, for example. So you can configure colors and name them yourself and give them values. And now these tokens suddenly become available to anything that has to do with color. So if you would call color utility, you would be able to pass in a token instead. Or if you called border color, you could pass in the token, like a color token instead. So that's what you get with tokens. But then you also have the possibility to add completely custom utilities. So as I said, the the standard utilities are the CSS properties, but you could come up with something brand new. For example, maybe you wanted a utility called placeholder. So you would be able to call that as a function and then you you could give it a color. And then you have implemented that utility yourself, which is basically just a function that creates a composition of other utilities, in this case being uh, related to creating like a placeholder pseudo thingy <laughs> with a color property. And then suddenly you have a completely new utility and you can do crazy stuff with this. You can create like your own grid utility, which composes different CSS properties related to grid and you you define what uh, arguments you pass into this utility and in relation to specificity everything's kind of handled for you it doesn't matter how complex you make these uh, yeah, I, I like that you went and used the kind of the most vanilla js style camel casing it just makes it really easy to jump into from the the research i've done one thing i didn't understand i think andrew alluded to a little bit does this come with almost a starter set of styles of some i don't want to say opinionated but something where, where someone just wants to get up and going and say, you know, let me very quickly refer to, yeah, 16 pixel fonts or this shade of red or various shades of red. Does it give you that? I know it's it's based on system UI, so I, I just haven't been able to understand yet if it comes with a lot out of the box to, to let you get up and running pretty quickly. Yeah, exactly. So in Classy UI, we were very inspired by Tailwind. So mm-hmm. there you had set of tokens, which restricted your design. Right. Um, 
Stitches doesn't have that currently, like it's three days ago. <laughs> but uh, but uh, the way you would provide that in Stitches is that you would create, it could even be its own library if you wanted to do that, which exposes a configuration. And that configuration could hold tokens, it could hold utilities, and it could even hold definitions for screens, which is also mm-hmm. something we have for, for managing media queries. So I yeah. would love to see you yeah. build it into it. And here, here's the reason why. Just rip here's up Adam, everything Adam Wathen has done. Well, <laughs> it's not, it's not no, just, but it would, be, it would make it really nice and easy to get yeah. into. Yeah. But it's not just Adam, right? So the, before before Adam, there was uh, tachyons. And they, you know, everyone yeah. is doing stuff Bootstrap. off of other people. So, you know, bootstrap, yeah. and, you know, all this kind of stuff. But the, the reason why I would love for this to be built in mm-hmm. is I'm lazy, right? I want yeah. this thing. Like I want to just start using this thing and I want without having to do any work. I, I love that there's flexibility in it, but I think that what a lot of people want and need is something that they can immediately get up and running with and there will be constraints. You know what I mean? Like it's great that I can use any CSS property and I can pass anything in, but I'm lazy. Like I want a design system out of the box. I mean, it's great if I get advanced and I want to customize it, but I want to, and that's one of the reasons I still use Tailwind is I'm lazy. Like it, there is my design system. Sweet. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think we were all we a lot of us were were building utility CSS like even even before it was cool but the the problem is that like we were building sort of building and rebuilding a utility CSS framework for every single project based on the needs of that that project and the benefit that I see in something like Tailwind is that if you can get it kind of over the adoption hump then you don't have to switch conceptual frameworks every time you you trade from project to project or pick up a new project and you just want to like prototype something real quick, like you don't have to start being like, okay, well, what margins do I need? And okay, I'm going to build enough utilities for me to prototype this thing. You just sort of start coding and you're coding to a standard that you know well from practice or that it's easy to onboard someone to because it's well-documented and and well-researched and all that. tell us what to do, Christian. Christian, this is something that a lot of developers want is they just want someone, CSS is like, for some people, it's just like, like this side thing in order to accomplish. So tell us what to do. What do you, how would you respond to this? What do you think about the idea of giving us some kind of a standard to start with? You know what would be really fun? I'm like, my brain is uh, is twirling uh, as we Tail, speak. Tailwind for stitches. Yeah. <laughs> so stitches. what we could do is we could actually create a Tailwind do configuration it. for oh stitches. My oh my God. Because um, we can actually, because that was a challenge with Classy UI is that we wanted to replicate, replicate Tailwind, but we weren't able to because of the way the class names were structured. But in this implementation, we can actually look at all the class names inside Tailwind CSS and we can actually produce all you of them. You should totally do it because then anyone who is using Tailwind is already going to have that immediate and implicit knowledge about how to, how to use this thing, yeah. you know? Or, or not just Tailwind, but Tachyons or Bootstrap yeah, or whatever other or, yeah. project you want. Like, it sounds like you can kind of take any f- utility framework that is in CSS and write a config for it and now you're using the same composable utilities except they're javascript tokens instead of css classes but but you can kind of take your css framework and wait for it put it in jss So there is some complication complication, uh, to to that, even in in Stitches. So we focus currently, because the project is only three days old, uh, old, we we focused on the core. So uh, currently it's it's released at Stitches uh, slash CSS. And we we also released Stitches uh, slash styled. So we have a style component approach on top of Stitches. And these configurations we are talking about, we, we can build into stitches but then we would have to add some kind of runtime overhead because the the mapping of their class names to to actually css class names needs to be written down so so that that is a payload the the client would need to download before for it can use stitches because currently we just use the plain javascript name so margin is called margin left and margin right and mm-hmm. the user has to write margin left because we then use that property to generate the CSS property internally. Well, Fabrice, That's- this is just an implementation detail. Let me know when it ships. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, are you saying to get the, the Tailwind classes out there or? Yes, so we would need to have a mapping of Tailwind class name to internal CSS class name. I don't know if you need that. 
I think your class names are fine. I, I think that's just like the blankie that people need to let go of. I, but but yeah. then you know, there are very specific naming conventions in Tailwind that don't reflect to the actually actual class name one to one. So okay, it's, that it's makes kind sense. Of, yeah. Yeah. And that's what what the reason we couldn't do it in in class UI. Yep. Yeah. So, so there there is there are some not many but there are definitely some instances where we would have to chip some mm -hmm. kind of overhead to the client to sure. support all the, the names. I think even if you hit 90% or 95% coverage, yes. that would be a lot. I, I think that would be a, a, just a good way to reduce friction for people who are already into Tailwind but interested in stitches. I think it would really help sure. them make the move oh, and okay. at least give it a try. It's, and not, also, like, it's not like your overhead is the entirety of like a Tailwind style sheet. Really, you're in, no. your overhead is just a map of naming conventions. Yes. So it's so it's actually a pretty small payload-wise. Yeah, it's, yeah it's, but it's we're small. talking about stitches is one kilobyte. Right. Yeah, so well, even that's, that's pretty impressive. <laughs> but you also have to. I, think I love how about... you come on here, and the, and the podcast hosts are telling you how easy this will be for you. To <laughs> <do>. <laughs> well, what's, the reason I'm telling him how easy it will be is I'm already using Tailwind with emotion style components, right? Because I, I so I clearly have a desire for this, so I just want you to do it. Like, do it yeah. so I can. <laughs> well, Andrew, it sounds like you need to do it. <laughs> I'm a mere best host, <laughs> but it's kind of complicated. This thing with like. Like if you compare CSS and CSS in JS, you have to kind of like think about payload size is with right. Tailwind CSS, you actually have a CSS payload, which you like, you have to try to compare that to the JavaScript payload. And it's a little bit difficult, but, but yeah, it, it's smaller. And it's also, it's also typed. If you're using TypeScript, it's automatically typed for you. So as you right. use these utility classes, it tells you what they are, which utility classes are available to you and what payload do, do they take, which is also yeah. really nice. I think Michael's right though. I mean, if it ends up being a small subset that you need a, a one in direction class map lookup like it wouldn't be too bad would it we have to try it it's a really we we're definitely going to try it yeah awesome well this sounds pretty fantastic like i'm i'm excited to i'm excited to check this out and i think it's pretty amazing that we have this kind of at its infancy like literally <laughs> <laughs> yeah, literally. Yeah. But like one one hour and 15 minutes into knowing what Stitches is, I'm so much more excited for CSS in JS than I ever have been before one hour and 15 minutes ago. <laughs> and here's what we're going to have to do in like uh, six months or so, after you guys have had time to make this thing a little bit mature, we'll have Mitchell on and you guys are just going to have a death match. All right. So, okay. <laughs> uh, versus stitches. Stitches survives so long. <laughs> well, gentlemen, that about wraps it up for another episode of the Devmo.fm podcast. If you'd like to have every episode delivered to your favorite player, you can subscribe via RSS or find us on iTunes or Google Play. And if you like what we're doing, please review the show on iTunes. It's the best way to help others find the show. You can find us on Twitter at Devmo.fm. We'd love to hear your thoughts on this episode. Leave us a comment on the Devmo.fm website where we can continue. Continue the conversation. For the devmo.fm podcast, I'm Andrew Welch. I'm Patrick Harrington. Michael. <laughs> oh, Michael. I was I was I was muted. I'm Michael Rogg and I'm muted. Thank you, Christian and Fabrice, for coming on. Thanks. Thanks so Thanks. much. All right. all on the show links but it is on npmjs at stitches slash css and at stitches slash style gentlemen thank you for coming on i really appreciate it thank you yeah thanks for having us yeah pretty cool stuff thanks all right.